It's an insanely busy time for everybody right now for a variety of different reasons. And I'm sure it's no different for you. So I'm going to try to keep this intro relatively brief. On today's pod, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Melissa Silva, Student Services Coordinator on the UA Douglas campus. We got to talk about everything from the UA campus and its students to what it's like growing up straddling a border, both physically and culturally, to her variety of careers. And it made me think a little bit about my own career path. I worked at a university library as a student. Then I took a job there as staff. Then I moved to a registrar's office, then moved within the registrar's office, then moved to Arizona to work in IT, creating and giving workshops. And then I took my current faculty position. And for a quote-unquote academic with a PhD in instructional technology, that's a pretty logical career path to get to where I am today. And then we have Melissa. And I was fascinated by her history, both personal and career-wise. And I think you'll find something personally relevant here as well. So, without further ado, here's episode 28 with Melissa Silva. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. appreciate you <laughs> thank you ryan and you know what can i say you had the drive <laughs> that's right for those well i guess everybody else except for the two people in this room i uh, i accidentally drove to the douglas campus this morning instead of where we are now which is sierra vista mm-hmm. so this is our this is my inaugural uh what's the word Podcast on site, uh, on, on site, on site mobile podcast. podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes, with my my handy dandy mobile uh, mobile <laughs> kit that I didn't that I didn't really know how to use because I thought it was broken, but the volume was just down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, okay, well, Melissa, why don't you give yourself a little introduction so I don't have to butcher everything. A little introduction. Yes, a little I introduction. love I love a little introduction, and then you know we tend to. <laughs> turn it into like a dissertation or something but oh, that's, that's that's higher ed that's what we do <laughs> so yeah my name is melissa silva uh my official title at the university of arizona is student services coordinator uh cochise county um that really means that i do everything regarding student services um financial aid admissions recruitment outreach event planning you name it, um, all surrounded, of course, the success of our students at uh, University of Arizona in our um, in our campus that we have in Sarah Vista and Douglas. So I travel a little bit all over the, the county. And you do everything. 
And I try. <laughs> well, it seems like it. But we're a team. We're a team of a wonderful student services team. That is yep. true. I yep. I can't think of anyone that works for the student services that doesn't do everything. Really, right. um, you all wear a lot of hats. We do. When I was reading your bio, mm-hmm. I was like, "Jeez, this is longer than mine." <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it was always funny because I said, yeah, 150, 250 words. And you're like, here's a page. <laughs> single yeah, single space. That. No, it's <laughs> fine. It's, it's interesting reading. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I've done a little bit of everything. You know, higher education is obviously something I'm very passionate about. But I do have a, a little bit of an interdisciplinary background, I believe, you know, with some of the stuff that I've been doing. Yeah. Restaurant. And- Restaurant, hotel. Yeah. Walk me through all that. So well, restaurant, restaurant and hotel, uh-huh. and then you were managing a clinic? Yes, a health clinic. Yes. How did <laughs> How does that happen, right? Well, and, and I think here's the wonderful thing about having a degree, you know, having an education. I think that it, it opens up opportunities where you least likely are, are to find them. Um, the most important thing, and this is what I tell my students all the time, the most important thing is that you are doing a job that you're passionate about. And um, I'm a big believer in, you know, the universe has its way of making you uh, connect in the, with certain people and in certain situations. And, and that really that has happened uh, with me through my trajectory, my professional and personal trajectory. So, yeah, a little bit of everything. What I didn't mention in my bio. We can add it. It's <laughs> we fine. can add it. <laughs> is that for seven years I was a stay-at-home mom, you know, which is in itself uh, a profession. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, a very, you know, um, I, I'm very lucky that I was able to, to do that, but I did stay home for seven years before I went back out into the, into the workforce. So, yeah. But I mean, okay. So how, like I said, walk me through a ho- hotel, through hotel and restaurant <laughs> managing a clinic, right? Stay at home mom for stay seven home. years. And then student services, so World. no, actually it was um, hotel restaurant management uh, at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, and um, and then we decided to have a family, my husband and I. And then it wasn't my my profession, my career, sort of took a back seat, and as it yeah, sometimes does, absolutely. And I, I we were in the position where I could stay home. And, um, and raise my, my two daughters. So I did that for seven years. And then, um, then I decided, you know, it's time to get myself out. By that time, we had moved back to Arizona. Uh, I lived here in Sierra Vista for about three years and, um, and then moved back to Douglas, finally made the full move back uh, from where I was originally uh, born and raised. And um, yeah, and that's when I, when I went back out into the into, um, you know, just trying to get my feet wet. What, what kind of, I've been gone for a while, so I wanted to see what kind of jobs are available now, 10 years later or whatever, you know, back in where I'm from. Um, the a clinic manager position was open and I was applying for different jobs. I think in the first two weeks, I got three job offers that I went out and, and uh, I'd applied for. And the clinic manager position was the one that really spoke to me. Um, I've always been attracted to um, social justice uh, type of jobs and, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion and everything that I do, customer service along with that, obviously. But um, I thought that the clinic 
um, management would, would give me that layer that I felt I was missing in management, which is the healthcare. And you know how, instead of being in a proactive uh, type of job where, where it's hospitality or mm-hmm. you know, education, how about being in a job where it's not so positive, you know, that, you know, that I really wanted to get that lens. So I did that. I did that for three years, and it was a very fulfilling uh, position. I had the opportunity to work with the Ryan White program while I was there. For those of you that are not familiar with that, that is a program that was initiated by Ryan White, who uh, was diagnosed with AIDS back in the 80s. So we had that program here down uh, in this region, and when I was managing the clinic and just starting, uh, trying to figure out how are we going to make this clinic a better place, uh, one of the things that I noticed was that our Ryan White patients, the AIDS HIV patients, were completely being segregated from the clinic hours, mm-hmm. right? That they were not being seen as any normal patient would be seen, that there was specific hours for them to come in, and I felt that was not right. So that is definitely one of the things that I changed, along many other things. And I always like to uh, share this little story about my my clinic um, uh, experience, if you will. When I when I started working there, my first staff meeting with my team, I had about 25 people under me. I asked them, if you would compare this clinic to a car, what would it be? And I got the the, the responses that I got, Ryan, were. <laughs> a beat up car, uh, you know, an old, you know, beat up car or lemon. Uh, and, you know, that really gave me a, a good indication of, wow, the, the staff here is not very uh, proud, right, right of, the, of their workplace. So that gave me a baseline to say, okay, we need to work on this. We need to work on trust and helping each other and creating this environment where everybody's really proud of coming to work every day. So three years later, I have my last staff meeting, and I ask the same exact question <laughs> to my staff, including the medical doctors, which, by the way, were, wouldn't participate in staff meetings. And then, you know, they later started participating. And they all said, their answer was, an old Cadillac. You know, <laughs> a very well-taken old, mm. old car, you know. So the perception is, yes, we are in Bisbee. That's where I manage the clinic, Bisbee, Arizona. Yes, we're in this area where maybe a lot of things are run down and we don't, it was a community health center. So there was, you know, not a lot of, you know, fancy stuff that we, that we uh, worked with, but everybody was proud of being there. So that was my journey with that, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) I just drove through Bisbee (laughs) twice, actually. I love that. I love that town. Isn't it great? It's so beautiful. I know. Yeah. The, you said something, um, you wanted to try something that wasn't positive? I wanted to, yeah, because the perception. That of, fascinates me. Right? The perception of, I had that perception that, that a clinic is where you go when you're sick. And there's not a lot of proactiveness happening, right? right? So I wanted to use my, my customer service and literally plug it in into a clinic setting. And we did because I worked with, uh, my staff and and one of my first trainings with them was we're going to treat each patient here not by their illness mm. but by who they are as a human being and that they're here to you know to receive a service from us unfortunately you know the healthcare industry is that way you know so yeah that was interesting i've just never heard 
I've never heard that anyone say, well, I chose this career path because I wanted something that wasn't that positive. <laughs> yeah. I guess it, I, it's obviously it's the, you know, you can. <laughs> well, because I felt like it was maybe somewhere where I could make a difference um, and really turn it into something positive because I was trying to really push my boundaries, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you did. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly enough, now after I left and came to uh, the U of A, which has been about five years now, I've been asked to uh, participate and be part of their executive board now. Really? So I now have the opportunity to provide a, another lens, right, into the clinic scenario by, by uh, being an acting board member there. So I'm excited for that. I, I'm going to be sworn in actually next month. So That's I'm excited. Too cool. Yeah, that is very That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a lot, um, I feel like there's a lot that people don't understand necessarily. I think about this area, mm-hmm. Douglas, Bisbee, Sierra Vista, places right, right down by the border. Right. Um, and you had mentioned in your bio that you, I forget how you exactly how you put it. It was something like that you are binational mm-hmm. you were raised binational right can you i want you to talk about that i'm from ohio <laughs> like i you know i was born and raised in the middle of ohio so and so it was really interesting for me coming to arizona mm-hmm. because i was immersed immediately in a culture that i had just never experienced before mm-hmm. yeah you know? mm-hmm. and even coming down here and going to Douglas or, or anything like that. Even I've been to Nogales like twice <laughs> mm-hmm. and I want to go more often, but I just don't get a chance. But anyway, um, there is a, I, I think there is a, a life that is lived in an area like this that I, mm-hmm. m- most people never understand. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I, it has its own culture. I've heard um, officials talk about the border as being, its own country even mm. right because it's it's so unique it's so different it's it's a mix of of two countries and and let me tell you it wasn't easy for me to be able to write it down or to talk comfortably about being a binational didn't come naturally to me it was um it was really feeling comfortable in my own skin feeling comfortable and 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 having these kind of conversations and and not feel bad because you know, I was not necessarily 100% from one, from one specific area. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when I was growing up, you know, having houses on both sides of the border, families on both sides of the border, I even had school on both sides of the border, <laughs> right? And that was, that's an interesting story right there in itself because one, kinder first and second grade, I had my American education and it, everything was great. You know, I was in a role. I was second grader. Awesome. <laughs> you know, and then my mom decides, wait a minute, you're forgetting Spanish. What's wrong with this picture? You can't forget Spanish. So every time she talked to us in Spanish, we would answer to her in English. So she. That's, that's, I mean, that's me and my wife. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, back then it was just something that I, I did not appreciate of my mom doing. But now I believe is, is probably one of the smartest and most courageous things that she did for us. She pulled us out of the American school and placed us in a Mexican school. So my Just third grade, 
Yeah. Just plop. Just you're done with second grade here. We're going to put you in a Mexican school in, in, in AP. I did not speak Spanish all that well. <laughs> Yikes. Believe it or not. And in uh, the culture, the, uh, the education culture is much different. So, but that was the smartest things that she could have done. The mm-hmm. smartest thing. Because when she, we, we were immersed completely in, in, the, in the Mexican education system, system and the, in the language. So when we were ready to come back, by the way, Mexico has a very advanced education system. So when, when I did my third grade in Mexico, I literally skipped fourth grade because I was so advanced in my education <laughs> that I went straight to fifth. <laughs> and that's right. maybe something not many people know. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that identity crisis, I think, for me was, was something that I didn't really understand. Um, it, I, I really did see it as a crisis um, with my Mexican family. Um, on the Mexican side, I was considered la gringa. La gringa, you know, oh, she speaks English, she goes to school in the U.S., she's la gringa, you know. But when I would come to my, uh, visit my family on the U.S. side, I was considered la mexicana. So you're, uh, what both am I? and neither at the same right. time. Yeah. Both and neither. Or like we say in Spanish, ni de aquí ni de allá. Neither here nor there. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was, I had to leave to realize, Ryan, the importance of being raised the way I was. I had to leave and be emerged in the melting pot that Las Vegas is, if you will, <laughs> to be able to understand, wow, that was such a unique way of being raised. And it allowed me to be able to walk in into any situation, be comfortable in, in any situation, have conversations with different walks of, of, of people, you know, of life. And because I had this exposure to two countries all of my life. And, and I, I, I couldn't give you any, any details or authors or citations or anything, but I mean, there's a lot of research out there that, you know, growing up bilingual is a huge advantage. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Dr. Tesh is wonderful. Hi, Dr. Tesh. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Tesh. <laughs> one, of, one of our colleagues just looked, poked his head through the window. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, that's, I, I learned Spanish fourth and fifth grade okay. and then never again. We, I did this thing called enrichment and some places call it like gifted and talented or the kind of thing where you send them off for a day to a different school and they do weird stuff, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, um, and we learned Spanish there and then didn't have to, as far as I remember, didn't have to learn language again until high school. Mm-hmm. At which point you're kind of past that sweet spot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I want to say it's like 11 to 13. But like once you're past that, you have a much harder time. Right. You know? Um, and I wish that I had. I really do. So it seems like you understand it well. I, context is a lot of it. <laughs> okay. I do like your t-shirt though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so- yeah, it's, it's a, that was a thrift store shirt. So can I read it for the audience? Absolutely. Nadie sale vivo. Cantina Calavera. Pachanga hasta la muerte. Arráncame de muerto. Aquí chupo faros. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I, we'll, we'll get a selfie. So the old, I'll put a picture of the shirt on <laughs> on the site. But I know I, I saw it in the thrift store. because My wife and I like to go thrifting. Just because mm-hmm. you can find just really weird, awesome stuff that mm-hmm. I, I, I had no idea 
what this said. <laughs> I'm like, I hope this you know really now cool. what oh, it yeah, said. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't tell you what it says, but I, I knew that I was like, this is okay. Right. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. It's like a bar. So, okay. <laughs> Something about drinking. I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Pachangas de la Muerte is my favorite part there. We party until we die. <laughs> yeah. And the, and like I said, you'll see in the, in the picture, if you look at the show notes, it's, it's two dancing skeletons. Yeah. Yeah. Very appropriate for this time of year for Mexico. I know. Yeah. All Souls is coming up. Yes. Do you ever go up to Tucson for that? No, I you don't. Should. I don't. It's amazing. Is it really? Yes. I, I, I spend my time in Mexico for that. Mm. It's, it's a really nice time with family and especially with our um, rituals that we have. And we visit the cemetery. You know, my husband has this tradition of visiting his, his uh, father's tomb and drinking a, a tecate with his dad, <laughs> you know, drinking a beer. So, you know, we have our little traditions that we follow every year. That's so, nice. yeah. Well, if you do decide, I'm sorry. If you do decide that you're not busy on the, the Saturday after, it's like the fourth this year, Okay, I think. Um, this is for everybody, not just you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is a, I don't even know what you'd call it, an event mm-hmm. that happens every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know about the All Souls procession? You've heard. You've so I've heard, heard of it, it okay. yes. It's, it's essentially, it's, um, it was started, I think, in the 90s. So it's okay. relatively recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a parade. This year, it's, it's by the San Augustine Mercado area. And it goes for about a mile. I could be totally wrong on that. It could be like three. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a combination of all sorts of different things. It's um, Day of the Dead. It's not Halloween. I, I actually get really, really annoyed when I go to, when I go to All Souls and see people in like Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not what this is about. Right. right. It's about remembrance and mm-hmm. and paying respect to the people that were in your life mm-hmm. and are not anymore. So. And I'm actually friends with a lot of the people that uh, that kind of put it on. Mm-hmm. Used to work with uh, with um, what was she the volunteer coordinator? She used to be because the entire thing is volunteer run. They get no city money, no state money, nothing like that. So it's all just volunteers and people put in what they want. And uh, the most elaborate costumes, and there's always a theme. And it's just beautiful and they and they march through and they have all different kinds of groups march with them mm-hmm. and walk through the through the streets and uh the i can't i think they're the ambassadors i think they're called and I, I apologize melanie if i got that wrong because um, <laughs> there's like there's, there's there's ambassadors and then there's attendants and they're all they all like have different names for the different roles they play mm-hmm. and some of them i think i think it's the ambassadors that they go out into the crowd and give you a little piece of paper and you write down the name of someone that you lost and you give it back to them. Hmm. And then at the end of the night, when they get to the, they have this giant metal thing they call the urn. Mm -hmm. It's like maybe seven feet across, like this giant metal thing, Mm -hmm. cage. And one person drags it through the streets the entire way. And when they get to the end, uh, the ambassadors put all those little pieces of paper inside the urn and then they set it on fire. And it says, you know, symbolizes the releasing and letting go and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then they also have like um, flame chen, which is a stilt walking, fire breathing kind of mm-hmm. troop. You know, mm-hmm. they have them doing all sorts of acrobatics and stuff like that. And this year they're actually going to have uh, Shisha 
playing at the finale. So when everybody gets to the end, it's like a concert kind of oh, thing. Nice. So it is a phenomenal time. And you know, you don't have to do it. You don't have to walk. You can just sit on the side lines and you know, sit on the side of the road and just watch everybody go by. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people go early and take their camera and just walk around and take pictures because everybody does you know, all the makeup and everything. Um, and it, like when I moved here, never heard of this thing, right? Why would you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very Tucson, like hyper Tucson thing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so when I was, <laughs> when I got involved with it, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> like, why did I not know about this when I got here? Uh, but I'm lucky I worked with Melanie. Because uh, like when she was the volunteer coordinator, she, she, uh, she got everybody involved as much as she could. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to there because we were talking about Day of the Dead. <laughs> I'm like, how did you get I to that? I think it had to do with your shirt, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was my shirt. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, if, so if you're free on the 4th, everybody, if you're free on the 4th, which when this goes out, it'll be next Thursday, so the... I'm bad with math. The 25th. So a week and a half. So if you're listening to this on the day it came out, a week and a half, Augustine, San, no, San Augustine area in Tucson, you really should come up. I mean, it's, if not this year, then next year for sure. Like you gotta, you gotta see it at least once. Mm-hmm. I know people that have lived in Tucson for their entire lives and have never been to All Souls. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that's like living in, in New York and not having ever gone to Times Square for, mm-hmm. for New Year's, you know? yeah, or like yeah. living in, living in New Orleans and having never gone to Mardi Gras. It's like, <laughs> It's, it sounds like it's a signature event for Tucson. It very much is, yes. Oh, it's, wow. it's like it's like hyper Tucson. Oh. It's, well, I mean, that's that's coming from an outsider. I've only lived mm-hmm. in Tucson for six years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it feels like that. But maybe it's just because I've been very immersed in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because of the people that I know. You know, right. like I've gone to cakewalk fundraisers and stuff. For these things, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's not just something that I've found out about. I love it. Well, we can make a plan. I'll go next year to that one, and then you'll come to AP for <laughs> to Mexico for the the actual Day of the Dead. Deal. <laughs> All right. Deal. I will absolutely do that. I've always wanted to go. Yeah. And it's it's and here I am shaming people for not doing something because they're in proximity to. <laughs> like, like you live in Arizona, you can go to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Where are we going with that? Oh, okay. So uh, I was talking to you about that kind of having one foot in two different places. Mm-hmm. Right? And I like to say one heart. One heart, uh, two border, and one heart two and two. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. I'm sure there's a poetic way of saying that. Because um, we, a lot of our students are that way. Mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah. And actually, I guess I don't have to feel. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a certain. I don't want to say difficulty because it's not difficulty. There's a certain, they're different in a way that's very good, mm-hmm. very positive, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, say, I don't want to say but, I want to say and. I feel like they, uh, the students in, that, in those situations from that kind of background, you know, bring so much to the table, mm-hmm. but that there's a, a very specific set of support that they may need that other students might not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that you do, some stuff with, especially in Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Conexion? And I don't want to say him because I'm going to butcher the pronunciation because my, my Spanish is terrible. So talk, talk about, about those a little bit. You, you mentioned three yes. to me. So because I, I am familiar with 
being in the binational um, region, right? Um, and given the opportunity of, of working in a higher education setting, uh, my first uh, semester working for the U of A, I, I did start seeing some disconnects, if you will, let's call them that, you know, just a couple of disconnects. And not because they were on purpose, it was just a lack of understanding and uh, maybe a, a lack of cultural competency mm. as well uh, when it comes to approaching the students or, or maybe providing some of the services that, that those students need. So one of them was definitely the financial um, part of it with, um, with the scholarship that we created that, that first time around, uh, Education Unidos is, is the one. Um, That's the one I wasn't gonna try to say. Right, education, <laughs> well you could have said half of it, Education I, Unidos. <laughs> I don't, I don't like leaving things unfinished. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and that happened because of partnership uh, that we created with uh, the city, of, with Mexico City, with the Mexican consulate there. There was some funds that were, um, and you know, even that, just how that all came together, Ryan, that, I mean, that really is like probably a podcast in its own because it's so beautiful how everything just came together. There was a need that was expressed uh, from me uh, to the community, and then everything just started coming together in a, in a beautiful, beautiful way uh, to the point of um, having education and those now um, have given, we have given more than $117,000 or $117,000 um, to very deserving um, young, well, no, you know what, we have non-traditional students, so let me say very, uh, uh, students that really needed the money and that we had in Douglas, and, and that unfortunately some of those funds were not necessarily funneling all the way down in that region. So, and not only that, I think the scholarship now has created a, uh, a sense of um, uh, pride that the community comes together, and we all give to the, to the Education Unidos Fund. And I'm talking about not just myself or the, the same students that now have graduated and are giving back to the fund, but the community members, the community leaders, we have the city of Douglas who gives uh, to that scholarship. And uh, I mean, it, it's just wonderful to see that. So yeah, hopefully that could continue for a very long time. And then along, along with that, um, I also did see a couple of disconnects happening with our education system maybe on the border, you know, our, our uh, local district. Uh, there was a lot of things that I was not feeling that um, we're necessarily capturing the essence of who our students are and, and, and really um, taking it to the next level. It's, it's almost like um, this, this topic is a little bit hard to, to talk about because it's almost like people think that being born and raised on the border is a deficiency. Right. Right. That's why I was trying to be right? very, very careful with my language. But, so it, but I didn't want it to feel think like that, that yeah. because they think, well, are you from Mexico or are you from the U.S.? Oh, your first language is Spanish, so you don't really understand English. Um, so that deficiency mentality really carries across even the school district. And, you know, a lot of times the, the teachers or even the same parents, a lot of times, you know, oh, my, my son or daughter, you know, they're not that smart, you know, but really they are super smart. It's just that they're not smart in that second language. Right. right? And that happens. We think in language. Our, the quality of our language. thoughts can only be as good as the quality of our language. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what we did um, to continue our conversation and also to continue our partnership with the Mexican consulate, we, um, applied for a program called um, FOVESI, 
Um, oh, the Fabesi Scholars. The Fabesi yeah. Scholars. And uh, that is a uh, part of the 100,000 strong in the Americas that uh, former President Obama and um, former Enrique Peña Nieto, uh, president from Mexico, put together and said, we need to make sure that we are sending scholars to the U.S. and we're also sending scholars to Mexico and we do this exchange. So we did that, we applied for it, we, we were accepted. And um, in the last two years, we've brought nine scholars that really have done an amazing research as to what education on the border looks like. And a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of the research, obviously a lot of the, the themes, the recurring themes, I think were very obvious, but there was some really, you know, uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, themes that everybody was really taken aback. And, and I, I believe that's where higher education, that's where education obviously comes in and being able to expose, you know, these kind of things, and especially if they're reoccurring and hopefully proactively do something about them. So that, that was a FOVESI uh, project that, that I was able to participate in, and, and coordinate. And then the last one, and the one that is still currently running right now is the Conexiones project. Uh, which is a project that I embarked on with um, NACO Wellness Clinic in NACO Sonora. Um, I do have uh, some background in, in working with parents and engagement, uh, parent engagement. Uh, I did some classes for the, for the school district. Um, I'm a certified parent um, trainer. So um, what we did with that is NACO Wellness knew that I existed somehow, you know, it's, it's a small area here. So um, uh, the word got out that I was out there and I was doing this type of engagement um, activities with the parents and Douglas. So they reached out to me and said, would you be interested in doing the same thing for NACO? Well, I had always had a dream to create a curriculum of parent engagement unique to the area that I'm serving. I have been certified as a parent um, trainer, uh, but we were always using curriculum that was designed by someone else, mm. right? So I, I told Knuckle Wellness, uh, Tom Carlson, um, who, who was a director, I said, if, if we do this, is it okay if I develop the curriculum for it? Because I want it to be as holistic and to the ground as possible for your parents in Knuckle. and Knuckle. Uh, and we did that. So we wrote a grant. We received it. Uh, part of the grant was also um, to help them um, build a clinic, a new clinic in Naco Sonora where, you know, they do blood pressure checks and they do physical therapy and all of these services that unfortunately um, a lot of individuals in Naco Sonora wouldn't be able to, to have access to. And um, so we did that. And then I developed the curriculum in eight weeks. And how I developed the curriculum is I, I did have a, a little bit of a structure and of course background, but so the first week I would go in and present uh, like an introduction and based on what parents were the feedback I was getting the conversations that were happening I would literally turn around and then create the curriculum for the, for the module for the following week <laughs> and then based on how we that went I would create the curriculum for the module for the following week and it, it went on and on until we were left with um, an eight module curriculum that starts from um, understanding what your roots are and how important they are as, as a human being to be connected to your roots all the way to the final one, which is graduation. And parents have an opportunity to present vision boards of what they want for them and their families. 
the uniqueness of that pro project and what really warms my heart about it is that the parents that we are presenting this curriculum to, these trainings to, are parents that can't cross to the U.S. side but have children that are in school on the U.S. side. God, it's going to be hard. So these parents never have an opportunity to meet the teachers of their kids. Um, many of those parents have had kids that have graduated from high school and could couldn't attend their high school graduation. So to be able to develop something like this, and then also to add a component of, uh, inter of education, uh, interactive uh, television uh, to it, where we, with the grant, we were able to purchase TVs and ITV systems. So now the, those individuals that can't cross to the US side are able to connect with teachers on the US side via interactive television and have parent-teacher conferences and um, support each other and, and really have, you know, the important conversations that we all want as parents with our, right, with our, uh, the teachers um, of our kids. So, yeah, so that's, that's a really uh, good project. I love it. I, I unfortunately cannot be as involved anymore um, because I'm so busy all the time, but um, definitely the component of it is that it is a trainer of trainers. So I go in, I train parents, and then they take it and make it their own, and then they continue. And it's been going on for two years now. That's amazing. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good story. I don't think I've ever processed it like that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, from start to finish, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something that I think about a lot this kind of distributed community, mm -hmm. you know, that that is another thing that I think a lot of a lot of people in different areas or areas that are not like this, they don't understand mm -hmm. that. I mean, they, they can understand distance, but I'm not sure that they can truly wrap their heads around what that means, like those parents and what they have to deal with. You know, right. that's not just a wall. <laughs> you know, that's uh, the entire force of the United States government. Mm -hmm. preventing you from going to a teacher parent teacher conference right yeah. it's a it's an emotional it's a psychological wall i mean it really is all of that it's not just physical so what we wanted to do with that program is no walls exist this is it like it's there's no way we could definitely use technology to be able to to bring down those walls mm -hmm. and how about connection that's conexiones that's the naco project oh right i'm sorry yeah. i'm, I'm Mm -hmm. I was, I put the check mark next to the wrong thing on my piece of paper. <laughs> um, how can people get involved if they want to? So people, well, and I think it all goes down to um, just being present, being present, understanding that we all come from different types of lenses. The, the border really has a multi-layered um, feel to it. It's not black and white. It's probably the grayest, the grayest and most colorful at the same time place that you'll find. That's true. Um, so it, it's, it's understanding really that a lot of our students, um, especially in this region, are uh, exposed to, to countries, to ways of thinking, uh, to governments, you know, to political entities, you know, to social entities and all of that. But at the same time, even though they're exposed to them, um, it still sort of blends together and that there comes our, our Spanglish or our cold switching or our, you know, today I could be listening to the Beatles and tomorrow I'll be listening to Pedro Infante on my radio. 
because of that, you know, because so if I think with this and everything else, just understanding each other, knowing that we all come from different places, from different mindsets um, and and really be involved by being present. And and if if um, there's people out there that are that are hearing us and would not would like to know more about the Education Needle Scholarship Fund or know more about the research that, that the Fobesi scholars um, did uh, with education on the border, or even know about how to contribute to the NACO uh, Conexiones project and even see it for yourself, you know, how it works and how uh, beautiful those parents are and, and how they're connecting with the teachers now. That's way, being present, uh, visiting all of these areas, visiting Douglas. You know, I'm always on the bandwagon. Like, I feel like I'm always on a campaign. When are you coming to Douglas? Come to Douglas. I'll take you, you know, somewhere or I'll take you out to eat. Even eating is such an experience in Douglas. Uh, and why not? I'll take you over to Mexico as well and, and so that you can see it and, you know, and live it for yourself. But um, there is, I understand some barriers that, that people might have, you know, um, I think more most geographically is what we're you know what we look at geographic ba barriers, but there shouldn't be any mental barriers towards this. It, you should be open about how the border is a big contributor to um, the economic power in the U.S. And I mean, I'm talking about billions of dollars that you know go through the border every single day. And not just Douglas, obviously, but, you know, our beautiful border of Nogales and, and Yuma and all of those areas. So, yeah. It's an important area. It is. <laughs> and it figures, the one time this fall that I drive to Douglas, you're not even there. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to follow me forever. That's going to haunt me forever. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll let you live it down. Don't worry. Uh -huh. um, so, just, I want to close out here um just the student services that you provide specifically in douglas and and like I said, this goes back to what i was saying about the the distributed community mm -hmm. like that's so hard you know because you think of, of at least i do or had you know you think of student services as a place mm -hmm. you know like a building on campus that you go you go to and that's it but I think that also presumes that everybody is there mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and not completely just sprinkled across uh, you know thousands upon thousands of square miles right um, that it's fascinating isn't it it's so it seems so difficult to I, make those connections I think in our case student services is a person right mm -hmm. it's not a physical location student services is a person Somebody who you will get um, on the phone, through email, uh, in a physical location. Um, I, I know I'm always, um, you know, cautious about, you know, this, but I give out my personal cell phone number. Mm. I have to. Right. I have to. If I'm, if I'm driving, if I'm, you know, our, our um, like you say here, Cochise County just in itself is so you know, wide and, you know, there's miles and miles, you know, that, that go on for Cochise County. So to be going back to what can we do? Well, we do exactly that. We are present with our students and we really take care of them in a very holistic manner 
from beginning to end. And um, I think the Education Annual Scholarship is, is a very good example of that. And, and we're able to see the results of that because from beginning to end, these students um, not only have the money, but also have you know the tools to be able to, to be successful when they graduate. And 100% of them have graduated. Of every single student that has received that scholarship, they have graduated. And that means a lot to me. That means that for them, that somebody believes in them, that a whole community believes in them, is probably the power that they need, right? Mm. To be able to complete. And that's a heck of a statistic. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah. I'm not sure there's any, I can't, at least offhand, I can't think of any group or collection or whatever whatever word you want to use for it that can boast that kind of, that kind of rate. Mm-hmm. That's like unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100% of them. All thanks to you. Well, thanks to thanks and to team. and the team, yeah, absolutely, and the cause and and the community and and thanks to the students also because I mean obviously we wouldn't be here if it wouldn't be for them, right? There are bread, our bread and butter. <laughs> Quite literally, <laughs> we would not have bread or butter if it weren't for the students. Right. <laughs> so now, you know, now with uh, University of Arizona being an HSI Hispanic Serving Institute and having that designation now as U of A. Yeah, the whole thing. The whole thing, right? Because South has had it for how long? Years. Yeah, thirteen years. Now we have more of an opportunity to be able to, I think, to attend more to the needs of this region, mm-hmm. because now the conversation is much broader. More people, more. at least, involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I know when I when I heard that HSI was being, I don't know what's the word, uh, awarded. The is that the word? <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. mm-hmm. When it was being awarded to the university mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. I was kind of split because part of me, you know, a lot of me was like, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. We, you know, if we have that designation, we should get it. And the other half was like, well, we've been there and done that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Just being, it's all, true. being all petty. I know. I know. <laughs> like, well, pff, talk to us. We've been doing this for ages. <laughs> and I still say that actually when I go to HSI, uh, shout out to Marla uh, if you're hearing this, because I always tell her like, wait a minute, U of A South has been doing this for a long time. But um, it, it's especially important for us in this region. I mean, with Douglas being 86% Hispanic um, and only, I think, 18% of our Douglas population has a higher education degree, right? The conversa- conversation is so important in that region because education is literally economic power. Yeah. So, and we need that, especially in the Douglas area. Well, we need that, period. Period. <laughs> yeah. But yes. So, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. (laughs) I've wanted to learn more about these things for quite some time. So this was Uh a, I figured this was a great opportunity for me to do that. Oh, no. Podcast recording aside, I wanted to learn more about it myself. So So thank you, Melissa, for taking time out and being flexible for me making my stupid driving mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so if um, I will put links to all of these things in the show notes, except for your phone number. I won't put that there. Okay. <laughs> so if anybody wants to, to learn more about them, um, check out the show notes. And if you want to see my shirt, also check out the show yes, notes. Yes, please do. It's a cool shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for inviting me, Ryan. This was this was neat. It was a good experience. It's yeah. All, yeah, it's always fun. I, yeah. I, there, I haven't talked to anybody yet that was like, this was terrifying. <laughs> I never want to do this again. Typically, it's like, when can we do this again? Mm-hmm.